Nesting drawing with young children is felt. I present interactive drawings with my three young children. Robert is five, Stella is three, and Luca is one. As an exercise in drawing is felt. I suggest that we collaboratively reconsider our movements as drawing, an embodied process in which our inner and outer worlds make atomic interactions legible. During the coronavirus pandemic that coincides with Luca's birth, we spend every day together. Ripples of postpartum anxiety, grief, joy, and isolation unravel the intimate daily movements that shape our lives. We may under sleep deficient in and around our home and the trails that surround it. They're with me now in our tiny hop studio filled with the collections they manage from a daily avalanche of material emotional encounters. We propose to draw as felt. The process of felting in the nest themselves serve as metaphor and method in our revaluing of inseparable cascading drawing events as crafted entanglements. As Atkas et al. reflect, from the perspective of material agency, the craft practice is the result of a negotiation between the material and the maker, and the bodily movements of a practice emerge from this dialogical act. Deleuze described felt as an anti-fabric. It implies no separation of threads, no intertwining, only an entanglement of fibers. Springay contemplated that writing as felt generates a practice of writing that engenders bodily difference, but is effective, movement, and wooly. She activates writing as felt as propositionally and speculatively. It asks researchers to think otherwise about writing beyond text on a page. We consider the more than bound drawings left as artifacts on paper within the plurality material movements that interact in the nested tumbles of young children's prolific art making, where it is neither possible nor productive to disentangle individual drawings. A whole sketchbook filled with pages of Stella's resplendent wiggling lines is ripped up in a startling rage. With welling sobs, I try to put it back together until it is absorbed by the inertia of piles. Our drawing felt slips into a genealogy of feminist new materialist work materialist work that disenters the humanist subject by revaluing effective and embodied knowledges. This mobilizes political interventions into institutional structures that have historically assigned instrumental value to children's drawings as artifacts made with tools on paper. My children rarely draw on the paper immediately available to them in copious forms in our shared studio. They enjoy moving house paint with stiff brushes on an old folding sofa. It becomes a nest, a foamy fortress. Those early drawings could be so easily overlooked, made ephemeral by mud, sand, snow, leaves, soap bubbles, light pixels, and frosting. Our work here tends not only to these events as tantamount to artifacts, but also to the interaction of all the actors within our momentum and our rest. Robert first built a nest when he was two. Outfitted with a battery-operated lantern, a matching headlamp, and an iPhone, he intuitively hoisted cut branches twice his size into a pyramid shelter, my nest. Sometimes he would photograph deer tracks from his nest as he used his finger or a stick to redraw their traces in the mud. He returns to iCloud and pinches and pulls the screen with his finger to enlarge them, reinscribing them with undulating pixels. We began seriously birding together in the spring of the quarantine. The trail is open as it was isolated. I can easily navigate it wearing Luca as Robert and Zella run ahead and argue about who is leading the trail. They take turns making sure the land beneath them is stabled, contemplating the affordances of alternative pathways. Their bodies draw and absorb these lines. Leaves abundant with mist, sweat on our heads. Robert and Stella are boisterous in diaphanous rain pants. Luca whimpers as a cold fog reddens his cheek. We hear a hooded warbler first. We return all throughout the spring, summer, autumn, and winter. Four months into our practice, a warbler alights from the understory and perches on the ledge of Stella's hand. Robert captures the exact moment. 
As the trees heave their last leaves, they reveal the warbler's intertwining flight paths. Robert and Stella handily trace them with a stick in the air and with an iPhone's slow-motion video feature. They migrate an impossible journey of thousands of miles. We will be there to greet their return as our pandemic isolation gloves us as familiar as it is weary. We punctuate birding trips with cold-weather beach excursions at the convergence of two trails. They draw lines through the sand with their arms, feet, sticks, hone their building techniques with buckets, and make dangerous compositions with rock shells and eggs. Deep in midwinter, Robert becomes anxious, unreachable by words. His small body is stiff and unyielding. I would plead, can you hear me? My voice flailed. That very week, we lost Ollie. We all crumble. Robert etches his own body life-size, filling his entire bedroom wall. Unutterable worries, a fierce tangle of red Crayola lines in his head, a black pit in his tummy drawn with a grip so tightly fisted his fingers throb. His therapist suggests a safe place where the rhythms of squeezing dough can infiltrate his worry. All the while, Stella's drawings spill out of full pages and into every available surface in our home with the staccato rhythm of hatch lines that emanate in each direction from her diminutive form. They cover Bristol board, 100 bound books, walls, doors, and etching the bathtub and floor. Always the same scratching lines, a dragon looms, a lot of monsters, a warning appears on the hallway while you don't like to be punched. We start building a nest the next day, sewing it from five pillows and a bedsheet. We illuminate it with a battery-operated fairy light on thin wire that can bend into many shapes. They notice nests everywhere we go. The snow comes in relentless bounty this winter. We exchange our muddied rain pants for snow bibs and stifling waterproof mittens. How will we draw the nest with snow? My hands can't even work. A first attempt flounters. The circumference of its foundation is exhaustingly enormous. It closes in its boundaries, bricks collapse. We switch to buckets in unison and verbalized. Lanky brown bricks plop out onto the circle, cementing a first layer as they melt together. Their uneven tops need to be sliced, leaving traces of the slicer in the bricks' frosty crowns. Look, we sliced a line in all these tops. Muffed elbows carve out an entrance equal to a full sweep of a three-year-old arm, a frenzy crest. Two hours in 21-degree weather have passed unnoticed. It's time for the second layer. Delicate as a surgery, the tedious process of packing and stacking begins. They close the second circle, take a moment to dance it all in before shuddering the impact of the cold and rushing to the fire for solace. A full day of cavalier sunshine initiates the process of entropy. They compel one another to sit with a nest overnight. We'll make a picture, then we'll have it forever and you won't have to be sad about it, Mama. It persists as days slide into weeks, and the melted snow transforms into a glacial crust, a lavish, fresh snowfall. They excavate the next nest's first foundation and wipe it clean, redrawing its girth. Moving together, Stella sweeps out the entrance. Robert goes inside to check it for size as they commence packing the buckets. Luca starts to pack this time, his orange mittens alternating between packing and tasting. Their choreography materializes. The first layer becomes double. A back-to-back -back row of baby shark teeth. A pyramid emerges. The second story rises as if predetermined stabled. There is no celebratory dance. A wild-eyed dinosaur bacchanal breaches the entrance and pummels each meticulous, meticulously sliced brick with resonant ecstasy until the nest's whole architecture is raised to its Antarctic foundation.